How many of you guys are familiar with essential oils? Anybody familiar with those? Hey, if you're not, essential oils are uh, plant-based therapies that are said to be able to cure just about anything. I mean, over hundreds of um, issues that you may have, there's an oil for that, all right? Like um, maybe you're having problems sleeping, there's an oil for that. Um, maybe you have anxiety, right? There's an oil for that. Maybe you're not being very productive at work, there's an oil for that. Um, um, maybe you, you've got pains in your joints and whatnot. Well, there's an oil for that or um, whatever it may be. Maybe you're just old. <laughs> I don't know that there's an oil for that. But the, uh, here's the thing. Um, a, a few years ago, one of our, our children, one of our boys, and we have like five boys, so uh, one of them started getting these warts on their knee. And, and if, if you've ever had a wart, you know, it's, it's sort of embarrassing. It's not very, you know, attractive by any means. And it got to the point where he didn't want to wear shorts in the summertime because he had the, these warts. And so we started all the over-the-counter remedies. You know, I think it's like Compound W. Do you remember that? And you'd put that on. And, and we went through series after series of that, and it didn't work. And then um, we, and when I say we, I mean Carolyn, um, <laughs> took, took our child to the doctor to see what the doctor could do. And the doctor froze the warts off. But guess what happened? They just came back. And so took them back again and froze them off again. They just came back. And, and now we've spent like hundreds of dollars in, in trying to find a remedy for these warts. And then a friend of ours suggested essential oils. And they said specifically, if you try the oregano, then it will take away the wart. And so we're, we're desperate at this point, and so uh, we decided to do that. And again, when I say we, Carolyn, you know, so um, she goes and gets this oregano essential oil. And every night, she opens up the bottle and pours a little bit onto the warts. And now, aside from dreaming of pizza every night, like, like this stuff really began to work. And within two to three weeks, guess what? The warts were gone. The warts were gone. It was amazing. Now, here's the thing that I want you to gather. It's not enough to have the oil, the bottle, until the seal was broken and the oil was poured out. Its true purpose and true value could not be realized. It had to be broken and poured out for its purpose and value to be realized. Okay, we could have just set it up on the shelf and said, look, there's that great essential oil. You know, it's it, it said to, to remove warts and do all these things. We could hang a big price tag on it, but it would be ineffective, wouldn't it? It had to be broken and poured out for its true purpose and value to be realized. Now, this morning, I want to talk about another bottle of oil that had to be broken and poured out for it to really be purposeful, to have true value. So um, last week, Sutton was talking about this guy named Lazarus, this friend of Jesus, and how Lazarus had died, and Jesus rose him from the dead, raised him from the dead. And he also had an interaction with Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, and he had this unique relationship with each of them. And so we're going to pick up with that. So um, what has happened, there have been a number of weeks that have gone by, and now Jesus has made his way back to Bethany. Um, and that's where 
where um, Lazarus and Mary and, and Martha lived, and it was right outside of Jerusalem. And this marked the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life as we know it. And some of the folks got together, and they wanted to throw a dinner party for Jesus. And it was being hosted by this guy named Simon. And Jesus had a previous relationship with Simon. Simon had had leprosy, and evidently they didn't have the essential oil for leprosy yet. And so Jesus healed him. Like he healed it. He performed this miracle and healed him of leprosy. So he is hosting the party. So that's where we're going to pick up, um, beginning in verse 1. This is John chapter 12. So if you have a church Bible you want to follow along, please do. It's page 1065. Um, otherwise, it'll be on the screen behind me. So six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. So, it's the Saturday night before Jesus is going to be betrayed and ultimately killed. There's still a buzz around the city, wouldn't you imagine? After Lazarus had been raised from the dead. Now, they're throwing this dinner party for Jesus. And, and it says that um, Lazarus was among the men that were reclining at the table. So I want you to understand the, the context, the culture back then. So if you were having a dinner party, didn't sit in nice, neat, comfortable seats like you all are sitting in. No, it would have been a low table, and the people would have been reclining. So literally, like laying down, on, you know, sort of leaning over on your arm, your feet kicked out. That would have been the posture. And also in that culture, the women would have served the men. The men would have eaten first, and the woman, women would have eaten last. So that's what's taking place there. Pick up in verse 3. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, that would be a little weird today, wouldn't it? Well, it was weird then. Two. All right, so here's what's happening. So it was part of the tradition, the custom. If you had people over, then you would have a servant who would wash their feet. Because back in those days, remember, they didn't have paved roads and sidewalks. I mean, it's dirty, dusty, and dungy out there. You know dung, dungy? Okay. Anyhow, so you're walking around in, in that stuff, and you got sandals, typically, or maybe you don't have any shoes at all. And so what would be um, expected is a servant would wash your feet. But they wouldn't wash your feet with perfume, right? It would be with water. And then they certainly wouldn't dry your feet with their hair. No, they would use a towel of some sort. So here, here's an interesting thing that's taking place. You, you've got, got Martha here. And, and now here, this is also important to know too. So back in that culture, women would have had their hair up. The only women that had their hair down in public were known as like loose and immoral women, if you will. So imagine that Mary now is taking this expensive bottle of perfume that actually looked probably something like this. And, and it probably would have been like a, a white alabaster jar like this. It more than likely was imported from India. 
So it was of great expense. And so imagine that she takes this. And, and notice, too, the seal on it. So this wasn't perfume like a lot of you ladies are used to or guys with your cologne. It wasn't the kind that you'd pop the top, you know, and put a little dab here, a little dab there, maybe a little dab on your wrist. No, this was meant to be opened one time and poured out. It was meant to be used at somebody's burial. Why? Well, Sutton told us last week that dead people, they stinketh much. Okay, and that's why you have some of this perfume, right? And so this was that kind of perfume. This was burial perfume. So imagine what people were thinking. As Mary gets down and humbles herself. And remember, the men are reclined at the table. Jesus is reclined at the table. His feet are laying out here. And she takes this expensive bottle of perfume. And she breaks it. And then she begins to pour it out on Jesus' feet. And then she lets down her hair. And she begins to rub his feet, probably his legs as well. And if you read Matthew or Mark's account, it says that she then poured it on his head as well. What she was doing was an anointing, in essence, his entire body with this expensive perfume. Now, think about the buzz around the room. What are the men that are reclined at the table thinking? What are they saying? How about the women who are serving? I mean, how confusing. Mary's not a servant. She's certainly not a loose or immoral woman. What is she doing? And, and why? Why would she you know, take a really expensive bottle of perfume that's meant for somebody's burial, humble herself, and begin to anoint Jesus' feet and his head with it. What was she thinking? What was she doing? It just didn't make a lot of sense. And so that's where we see in verse 4, finally somebody speaks up and it says, um, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now, in Judas's defense, I, I, I get it. It doesn't make any sense. Like, like, why would you take a year's worth of income and, and buy a bottle of perfume with it and then break it and, and pour it on this man when he wasn't even dead at this point. It just didn't make a lot of sense. And I, I think the reason I can't make a lot of sense of it, or, or maybe you can, is because we just have this, this different idea. We have more of this worldly view of what is sensible, of what is sensible and what is valuable. I think that's part of the challenge for us. Why would she do that? Probably for them. You know, they're still thinking in very worldly terms. That's a lot of money. That seemed rather wasteful. 
I mean, think about it yourself. If I saved up a year's worth of income, you, you know what I would do with it? Like, I might buy a new car, right? As sad as it would be to retire the 2007 Lincoln Town Car that I drive, you know, um, I might just go get a new car. Or I might do some home improvements, right? How about you? Um, I might set some of that aside, if not all of it, for retirement. Or uh, maybe take it and put it into a college fund to help fund our, our fifth, sixth, and seventh college, you know, <laughs> child going to college. You know, I, I don't know. I, I probably, if I'm honest, and, and if you're honest, would you give it all to the poor? Probably not. Like, I, I might give a tenth of it back to the church, right? But I'm probably using that money for me, if I'm honest. That's probably what I'm going to use it for, but, but not Martha. Listen to, to what Jesus said here. This is verse 7. He said, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial, You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. See, Mary understood something that nobody else in the room understood except for Jesus. And, and this is it. Mary understood that the true value of, of that perfume, it couldn't be measured in dollars and cents but by its usefulness to God. See, the true value of the contents of that bottle of perfume, it couldn't be measured in dollars and cents, but in its usefulness by God. She understood that. Jesus understood it. It was lost on everybody else. You see, on this expensive bottle of perfume... What was meant for Jesus' burial, but if you know what's going to transpire over the next few days, that there's not going to be enough time for his body to be anointed before it's placed in the tomb. Somehow, Mary understood that she needed to do this now to prepare him for the suffering that he was going to experience, to prepare him for the, the pain of the betrayal that he was going to experience at the hands of one that was already reclining at the table with him, to, to prepare him to experience the abandonment that was going to happen by actually all the people that were reclining at the table, all the people that were in the house and even serving. It, it was meant to prepare him for the, the suffering, the humiliation, the pain, and ultimately the death he was going to face in just a few short days. See, the value of, of that jar of perfume couldn't be measured in dollars and cents. Now, it, it, was, it was measured by its usefulness for God. And Mary got that. And Jesus understood it. You know, um, the value of the contents of that jar, they, they may have been equal to a year's worth of income to many people, but when poured out, when broken and poured out for Jesus' sake, they became priceless. They became priceless. For many, it seemed like it was worth a year's worth of income. That's a lot of money, isn't it? But when poured out 
for Jesus' sake, became priceless. I, I, I think we're a lot like this jar of perfume. I, I think this jar of perfume represents each and every one of us. That until we are broken and poured out for Jesus' sake, we will not realize our God-given purpose and our priceless value. I believe it's true. I think that jar of perfume represents each and every one of us. Until we are broken and poured out for Jesus' sake, we will not come to realize our God-given purpose and our priceless value. Uh, I'll share an example from my own life. So um, <clears throat> growing up, I think I was a good kid. My dad's here. He could, you could ask him later. My brother will be here at the next service. You can ask him. I wouldn't. The, uh, but anyhow, I think I was a pretty good kid. You know, I didn't really get into a lot of trouble. You know, just pretty much the normal stuff. I got good grades. Um, I was decently athletic. Uh, I ended up going to a really good college, got a good job, ha had a great um, woman in my life, and yet, if I'm honest, I, I had no real purpose. My life didn't really have any value. I wasn't living for Jesus' sake. I, I was living for my own sake, and I was very selfish, and I was very self-reliant, self-absorbed. I was arrogant, to be honest, and I was misguided. I was misguided. I wasn't living for Jesus' sake. I was living for my own sake. And it wasn't until I was, I was really emotionally and spiritually broken and then kind of like poured out like that bottle at the feet of Jesus that I began to understand that God had a greater purpose for my life and that I had more value than I had come to realize. Because up to that point, I bought into this kind of lie from the world. Like the world wants to say, you know your purpose and your value? Do you know where you find them? Well, it's, it's in success. You know, and if you're going to have a purposeful life and, and you're going to have a valuable life, then, then you need to go to a good school, and, and you need to get a good job. You need to make a lot of money, or at least more than your peers, so you, you know, you're more successful than, than them. And then you, you need to find a spouse, right? You need to be married if you're truly going to be purposeful and successful. And then you got to have the, the nice big house, and then you got to fill it up with all these kids. And these kids, they need to be better than you, right? They need to become more successful than you, and then hopefully, you know, you've amassed all of this stuff, all this worldliness, so that when you get older, you can just relax, and you can just become comfortable and selfish. Like, I think that's the American dream, isn't it? That you get to this point where you're just more and more selfish, and there's no real purpose in that at least not long-lasting purpose. And if that's what your life is all about, there's not a whole lot of value in it. And so I'm thankful that even by the age of 22, I had experienced brokenness in this world. Even the teenagers in our midst, you've, you've experienced the brokenness of this world. You know, I've, I experienced broken promises 
broken relationships, broken dreams. My body hadn't been broken at that point, but I knew what it was to be emotionally broken and spiritually broken. And here's the thing. I think God let that happen. I actually think God orchestrated some of that because he wanted wanted me to be broken and poured out so that I could experience and understand that I had a greater God-given purpose and that I had a priceless value, greater than I understood. I, I think he wanted me to get to that point of brokenness and being poured out for his sake so that I could begin to discover that, that I was, was called and set apart to be a follower of Jesus. That was my primary purpose. And I had great value, that I had been chosen by God. And that not only that, but that I was to help others realize the same thing, that they too, that you too, have been chosen and set apart by God. You, individually, have been chosen and set apart by God. He wants you to be his disciple, and he wants to use you to help others discover the same. I think God allowed and even orchestrated brokenness in my life so that I would come to realize that I have a God-given purpose, that I have priceless value. Now, um, once I discovered that, I began to live into that more and and try and, you know, help others to, to see the same thing. The folks that I interacted, you know, where I lived and where I worked and where I played um, through ministries like Young Life and, and through the local church and the global church. And I also saw that I began to loosen my grip on things like money. Like I clung tightly to money and to possessions. That's really what was obsessing me. And then as I, I began to live into that God-given purpose and, and see the true, inherent, priceless value of the life that God had given me, I, I just began to loosen the grip I had on those things. And then I, I began to offer those things that God had entrusted to me back to him. And he began to use them for his purposes. And he began to use them to build his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. He began to use them to influence the lives of others, to help other people come to see that they too have a God-given purpose, that they've been set apart, that they've been called by God to be a follower, a disciple of his, that they have priceless value. And now today, like I look around and I look at like this building, you you know, this property. I, I look at all that happens here, not just on Sunday mornings, but Monday through Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And and I began to get a glimpse, a glimpse of what God wanted to do with some of this stuff, some of this money that I was clinging to. And he's like, no, that's not the true value in it. The true value of that stuff, that money, is when you release it to me. Now, when when you use it for my sake, That's where the true value in it is found, just like that jar of perfume. It wasn't just worth a year's worth of wages. No, it was priceless because it was being poured out for Jesus' sake. And when we do that and when we surrender all that we have and all that we are to him, 
all of a sudden we discover that we are priceless. And, and I have the benefit uh, of being at this for a long time now, for decades. And I look at, again, some of the surroundings and, and I see the fruit of it. And you know what the greatest fruit is? It's you all. Like, I look around at, at the different people that I know that are here and that I've had some relationship with over the year, years, and, and some just for the last 45 minutes. And I, I think it's priceless. Like, how much money would you pay f- for relationships like that that are going to last for eternity? It's priceless. Why was I clinging so much? the things of this world. See, maybe you, you're, you're not like me and you're not so self-absorbed and, you know, so arrogant. Maybe, maybe your, your challenge is you've just looked at yourself and thought, I've got nothing to offer. I don't have anything to offer to God. I don't have anything to offer to anybody else. And maybe you just have a very low view of yourself. And, and maybe you think that, you know, my life has been defined by one failure after another failure. I think the same would be true for you as it is for people more like me. I think regardless of what end of the spectrum you fall in, this should be your prayer. This should be every man and woman's prayer. God, break me. Break me. Now, that may not make a lot of sense. Like, most of us don't want to be broken, do we? Like, we're usually praying for the opposite of that, like, God, heal me, restore me, right? Well, you got to be broken and poured out for Jesus' sake before he can redeem, before he can rebuild, before he can reconcile, before he can restore you. And then what comes about is an amazing, purposeful, priceless person. But we have to pray no matter where we are, no matter what we view ourselves to be, God, break me so that I might be poured out for your sake. Because the reality is this. We're all broken. If we're honest with ourselves, we're all broken to different degrees. We've all experienced brokenness in our lives. And we've all been poured out or are being poured out. The question is, have you been broken and poured out for Jesus' sake? That's the question. And so this morning, and and really not just this morning, but even the days that follow, I believe our call is to be more like Mary, more like that bottle of perfume, and that we would take the posture of Mary, and, and we would humble ourselves before Jesus. And that may look like us physically getting on our knees. And, and you may want to do that here in a moment. Um, it definitely looks like us bowing the knees of our hearts and our minds to him. And then pouring ourselves out, surrendering all, saying, Jesus, everything I have, everything I am, it's yours. I, I release the grip I have it. I surrender it to you. Would you take it? Would you help me to see my God-given purpose and my priceless value? You won't experience that, I don't believe, until you're broken and poured out for Jesus' sake. Are you willing to be like Mary? Are you willing to take that posture? That's the question.
Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much that uh, we can look at something that is, is thousands of years old in the Bible, and we can see just its relevance to us today. Thank you, Jesus, that, that you love us, each and every one of us, and, and that you've called us, that you've set us apart, that we have a God-given purpose and we have priceless value when we are broken and poured out for your sake. Lord, help us to distinguish between the lies of this world and the truth that you offer. Lord, where our hearts have been hardened towards you or our minds are hardened towards you, I, I pray that you would break them, that you would break us, and that you would pour us out for your sake. Help us to be used by you, to be followers, to be disciples of yours, and help others to realize that their call is the same, and there is no greater call, especially when we see the fruit of all that, when we see the difference that's made in our community, in our world, and specifically in the lives of others. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray it all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.